Good morning. It has been very encouraging to to get some feedback that there's a certain degree of excitement in looking at the book of Isaiah. Even what Morris you actually uh, Morris you read actually the Isaiah is very well mentioned in the New Testament. In fact, the book of Isaiah is the most Christocentric book in the Old Testament. And it's the only book that personalized the solution of God to a man. That the problem of man can only solve through the person, the Messiah. That's the only book which actually sort of pull all things together. Uh, there's also apprehension that uh, a lot of people say that you know to read the book of Isaiah could be quite challenging, and indeed it is. But could I just suggest to you that you just read the book devotionally too? Uh, it may not be a study as you read the book, but just read it devotionally, like you can read a lot of other of uh, the bi- side of the Bible. Uh, what I mean is that uh, come to, it, to the, the word, open the chapter you're reading, read it in prayer, ask the Lord that there may be particular words, word, or some thought of which God will put into your mind as you're reading it. And it's personal and God talks to you through that word. So you can also read the book of Isaiah in a very personal devotional way too and of course you will probably sometime come across the frustration of not understand not getting the whole chapter in it don't worry just move on maybe write down the question you have and then ponder on the question and maybe through that the lord also will reveal to you if you want to go further do a bit of research and try to find some answer and uh, I would like to answer, I would like to listen to your question too and uh, appreciate the question you may have, but uh, a lot of questions we can't answer too. There is a lot of uh, hiddenness in Isaiah too, which uh, the debate is there. So, can you can read the book of Isaiah devotionally in prayer, and the Lord will richly bless you, just the same as if you would do studies. And a lot of my my my. Enriched, I was enriched by the Lord, mostly through this kind of devotional reading too. Devotional reading. Now, today, uh, what we're going to do is, actually, I'm going to give you the background, uh, historical, geographical, uh, political background of Isaiah. And uh, touch on certain pressure points. What I mean pressure point is areas where you will maybe when you read Isaiah, you find it a little bit of a struggle to understand. So I will just take you through a few areas, uh, so that I hope that you get a handle of that area and you know what the perspective of Isaiah is. It could help you to read further, to know where the research should be and why it was presented that way. I would be very much dependent on the PowerPoint to actually. Uh, talk to you. It will not be a sermon, but more of a lecture following the PowerPoint because I think there's a lot of things I want to throw to you and the ability to articulate all that will be a challenge to me. So I'll be very much of a 
dependent on the PowerPoint. And uh, last week, I had the privilege of sending my voice recording before Sunday to Sam, and Sam listened to it, and Sam saw help me to actually... So before I preach, I will always want to send to Sam, and Sam will actually see through, and then... Uh, thank you, Sam. But this week, I didn't send to you because it's very much on the PowerPoint. So uh, I appreciate that, all right? Okay, uh, all right, here am I. Okay. Now, one of the things, Isaiah is written within the story, God's story for the whole world, from the Bible. And it is really the completeness of the Bible which always amazed me that the Bible starts with creation. Creation. Can you imagine we have a Bible without the first maybe five chapters of creation? It would be like a truth hanging in the air. But so, we actually start with creation. Alright, let's start this way first. We'll have a quiz session. Alright? One, two. Three group. One group, two group, and three group. Alright? Take your hand can answer the question. Alright? Now, okay, the first one is we start with creation and the fall. So that's where we start in. The, the fall actually tells us the problem we have. Okay, a lot of things happen, but the next big item is the flood. The flood. Alright, who is the main character in the flood? Anybody? Noah. Noah, great. One point here. Oh, one point, remember your point. Alright. <laughs> The flood, you know, the fl- oh, I didn't see the hand. <laughs> but the flood is, is what you call one of the main events. Now, next, the main event will be... Okay. <laughs> ah, this is good. Uh, sorry. All right. Ah. Now, next we move on, we have the Tower of Babel and all that, and then we come to the call of Abraham. Now, you're not going to answer the next one, the two group now. Where do Abraham come from? Yes, draw. The Ur, okay, one point, okay, one point here, one point. You all better start moving up, rhyming up, okay? Ur, Abraham was called from Ur to actually, God called him to leave his place to start a new nation through this family, okay? Okay, oh, oh, back, back. <laughs> Revealing too much. Okay, then, this, between Abraham and Moses, we call the patriarch time, the patriarch time, okay? We have uh, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. That was actually... They were they they haven't occupied the place yet, but actually there was a stop forming of a family, and and in the time of the 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 last prayer we read before Moses was Joseph. There was when the twelve tribe were actually what do you call defined the twelve tribe, or twelve tribe. Now remember that. My question is, this is a, oh sorry, this is going to be a tough one for you all. Of which tribe did Moses come from? Wow! You said Levi? 
That's a tough question. Two point. <laughs> well done, Levi. But actually, Levi is the 13th tribe. The 12th tribe have land. Levi is the white tribe where God said, no land for you, you only occupy the city because your inheritance is the Lord's land. So actually, it's technical about 13th tribe. But uh, this is not, not, not the, the sermon today. Alright, next. From Moses to Joseph. Alright, back to your... Oh, now this open. Now they were in the wilderness. Wilderness for... Oh, that's not a question. Easy. 40 years. Why were they there in 40 years? Pardon? Disobedient. In what aspect were they disobedient, John? God's word. Be more specific. What were they disobedient about? Why were they asked to go to 40 years? Yes. Yes, they, they, they were asked to go to promised land. Actually, from, from, from where they are to the promised land, probably take less than a week journey. Less than a week journey. But because of them not wanting to go to the promised land, God take them around about three for 40 years. So next time, remember, when God asks you to do something, do it quickly, so you don't have to go to a 40 years kind of journey. One point. Very good. So two, one, ah, two point here. Okay. Between Joshua and Saul, we have the period of the judges. It's actually the time of a lot of disobedience. People do as what they please. People do what, as what they please. Now, what is the question I want to ask about Saul, which is quite a tough one? Oh, bad question. Ah, <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, okay, what? Give me some books which is written between Joshua and Saul. That's all I'm question. Okay, anybody? What? Samuel. Samuel, all right, one point. Second Samuel. Second. <laughs> <laughs> Second Samuel. What other book? Judges. 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 Who said judges? Well, so okay. Two point. You got now two point here, and then you got three point here. Okay, I remember that. All right. Now, okay. Now we have the starting. Saul started. They they wanted a king. They wanted a king like their neighbors having king. But Josh, God said, you have judges. And through the judges, actually, I am your king. So when they asked for a king, God, uh, and Samuel was a bit frustrated, Samuel, uh, God said, uh, it's not you they are rejecting, it's me. Me they are rejecting. So God gave them first king, which is Saul. Good looking, handsome bloke, tall and all that. Uh, but he failed. He failed. Then we have, perhaps to me, the most uh, glorious time of the people of Israel is the reign of King David. King David. David. And then we have Solomon. Solomon. Now, this, well, how many you got? Three points? Three, two, four. <laughs> Minus one. <laughs> No more, no more. Uh, now, just, just wondering, how many of you say Solomon is a wise king? 
a wise man. Solomon is wise. Take your hand. Who says Solomon is wise? Who says Solomon is a failure? I am bound to think Solomon is a failure. You know what Maurice wrote, uh, read to us this morning? What happened was Solomon in his lavishness, he bankrupted the kingdom. So much so that the people were suffering. And because the people were suffering, it led to this. The division of the United Kingdom to a divided kingdom. You have the northern. What happened after what Maurice read was when Rehoboam decided to say, I will actually impose even more, even more uh, taxes. I will demand even more from you than even my father Solomon. Joroboam, Joroboam let the group say, we are done. So the kingdom was divided. The northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. Okay, so in that time, there is a decay. A decay of their spiritual life, a decay of the nation. That's why I had the slide aligned back. And in the, within the two kingdoms, the southern kingdom, uh, Judah, Judah is the southern kingdom, they have good king and bad king. There were eight good kings to trade out of the 22. But the southern kingdom of 19 kings, none was good. None was labeled as good in the Bible, in the, in the, in the chronicles of, of the kings. All right, so you have two groups now, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. Now, the northern kingdom maintained the line of King David. That means it was the blood linkage of King David. So it must be through this line where the Messiah comes from. So remember that Judah, although they have good king and bad king, even terrible king, Manasseh, who actually offered his child to be, to be crucified, uh, to be, to be uh, what is it, sacrificed to a pagan god. So some terrible king, terrible king. But this is the line where we will finally have the Messiah. Now, what I'm telling you that is in this blue region where the contemporary of Isaiah, okay, the, the book of Isaiah and the, his contemporary, which is uh, Amos and uh, Hosea, is actually operating there. God actually provided all other, a lot of prophet during that time for the northern kingdom and for the southern kingdom. God speaks through the prophet, through the prophet. I just wonder that uh, sometime maybe uh, Isaiah probably go for a cup of coffee with Amos or... or they're, they're not very far apart. They're, they're contemporary. They're, they're contem or compare notes. Compare notes. But that's the time of Isaiah. So you understand that during that time, we have this division, this division, all right, of the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And the southern kingdom ended out in captivity by the Assyrian, uh, Assyrian captivity. Assyria came, 
caught the whole, uh, uh, the whole southern kingdom, deported them, and the ten tribes were gone. Gone. So that is what we call the missing tribe of the Jews was because of the exceeding captivity. No more trace of them. I think they tried to trace them to some place and all that, but that's another, another discussion. And the northern kingdom, and, and the southern kingdom, Judah, we went through the Babylonian captivity. And the Babylonian captivity, who is the player we, we know? In, the Bamb- in Babylon, who are actually? Daniel. Daniel. Daniel, Ezra, Nehemiah. And it was Ezra and Nehemiah who actually, and Daniel who prayed, took back the people to return of the exile. The return of the exile. So it was Daniel who saw that too and he prayed for that too. And Ezra and and they, they have godly people during the Babylonian captivity. It was, I believe, in the Babylonian captivity that the psalm were collated. The psalm of David was collated during that time. So it was not a really fruitless time. So, so uh, the Lord have used that time as well. And then return of exile, Zerubbabel. And from the return of exile to, I would say, the time of Christ, that was what you call the intertestamental period. And one significant in that period is that idolatry is no more in the culture of the Jewish people. Idolatry was sort of being eradicated. From then on, after the Babylonian came, when they returned from the exile, there was no more going back to idol, which was a big issue before that, they always go back to that. But from that on time, there was no record in the culture of the Jewish people. They go back to idolatry. But there's nothing to say because now the Jewish people are secular, which is another challenge. They don't even believe the Messiah. They become more, more uh, uh, litigistic about, uh, legalistic about their religion. And that's why Christ says, you hypocrite and you teach. So, so, but one thing, Idolatry was ab- abolished during that time. They would no longer go back to the uh, idol. And then we have Christ. Now, why do I have to put the whole picture here? It's because Isaiah has prophecies which actually, uh, what do you call, uh, involve all this period. So when you read the book Isaiah, be aware of his prophecy about this period. About this, especially the exile, the captivity, the return of the exile, is within the book of Isaiah. Right? Okay, what? Okay, we move to from that time frame to look at some of the issues. When you read the book of Isaiah, you will encounter a lot of issues. What are the issues? The issue of politics and war. They're living in that kind of time. You must read King, Second King, First, Second King, First, Second Chronicle, and you get the drift of what's happening, the, the 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 dynamic of the issue. They were having civil war. The Northern Kingdom and the Southern Kingdom were actually fighting each other. They were forming alliance against each other, and all the like. So there was this political overtone in the Book of Isaiah. Political overtone in the Book of Isaiah. 
and they also are having wars within their neighbors, the neighbors, the, the close range war. So this is, if you're living in the time of Isaiah, you will have that as the you know, backdrop of uh, your life every day, probably. What you're talking about, like what you're talking about, uh, uh, America just changed the presidency, uh, uh, you know, have all wars around that. They're probably within the conversation, within the worry, within the consideration of their life. Let's look at it geographically. Now this, when Joshua took the people into the land, 12 tribes, in each location, they were asked, you know, okay, uh, Joshua will say, go into the land. He didn't actually demarcate the land and say, okay, this is yours. They say, you go there, you have to occupy it, and you have to actually drive the people out from that to be yours. Yeah? So they were actually having a lot of activity of actually having to live among the, the people there and also to exert God's promise to them to actually take over that land. So the 12 tribes were given all these places, alright? Except as tribe of Levi. This 12 Levi, as I say, is a tribe, is a priestly tribe. A tribe whereby God says, your inheritance is me. You stay in the city where you are actually can inherit a battle and what you can inherit city, but not plot land. Alright? So they inherit city also for purpose of actually ministering to the city. To the cities, so you have this is the the thing, uh, the, the the distribution of land, and when Saul and King David came as the uh, and made it the whole kingdom, you have the United Kingdom. All this merged into the kingdom of Israel. Okay, so all this merged. When they were divided, when they were divided. They were divided into the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. They were divided into the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. Alright. You can see this. This is Israel. The northern kingdom is called Israel. The southern kingdom is called Judah. Judah. It's a little bit confusing because sometimes when the book of Isaiah, when he talks about Israel, he means the Israel of God. Uh, Sometimes when he say Israel, he means this Israel, and he mentioned Ephraim. So you have the Judah here and Israel here. And I say that the, the, the neighbors who they always may have skirmishes with, you know, have to interact, they have fight with, are Eden, Moabite, Philistia, you have Phoenicia, Aram, Ammon. And these are also mentioned in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah have prophecies about the Moabite, prophecies about Philistia. He have within the Isaiah prophecy. But please remember, it is not the ministry of Isaiah. He didn't go to the Moabite and say, this is my prophecy for you. He only has his ministry in Jerusalem. So the prophecy he have for Moabite and Philistia was not for the for the consumption of Moabite or Philistia, but more for the consumption of the people of Jerusalem. People there. He said, look, God will be overruling them. Look, 
they are having enemy, but God will actually defeat them. This is their future. So he was speaking about them rather than speaking to them. You get what I mean? So when you read about the prophecy of Cush and all that kind of thing, Isaiah was speaking to the people, God's people in Israel to tell them what God has for the nation. The reason is, one reason, Isaiah always wants to bring the transcendence of God in all the issue of man, political, geographical. That is his thing. Live up, live up God. Live up God in all the issue of man, even war, suffering, everything. God is in control. That, to me, is Isaiah's very big main message. And isn't this a main message for God, for us? When we look around things, we sometimes feel that we, we lost control. We, we, we are like a people group, people drifting with all the political sentiment or the cultural sentiment. Please remember, God is in control. God is in control. Now, I want to point to you a uh, thing. There's this uh, place, Jerusalem. Jerusalem is where the temple is. When the northern kingdom separate from the southern kingdom, they are deprived of a temple to worship. They replicate that in battle. Battle. Not really under approval from God. So they create another place to worship because they cannot go to Jerusalem, they go to battle. So that is the, one of the issues we have, we have in, in Isaiah. Alright. If you look at this, how do you picture the size of this piece of land here? I'll give you an indication. Now, if you see Melbourne here, Melbourne, Geelong, Ballarat, and Bendigo. Not very big, isn't it? You can have footy clubs playing against each other. It's, it's a small piece of place. So you can think that when they fight in a war, it's maybe uh, over there. It's not a big piece of land. So you can find the dynamic too. It's not like such a huge place. Uh, you know, so it's quite close. So when, when the enemy comes, they come, come very fast. They come very fast. But this is what's happening here. Alright? So I hope that helps to give you a, a, a perspective of the size of the place. They were, they were war between northern and southern kingdom. They were also between the neighbors. They were also under threat by the superpower. Bigger nation, more developed, more hostile, more significant. Aram, Assyria, Aram slightly on the east, east, uh, Assyria, very far be, uh, behind Aram, Egypt to the west, and Babylon slightly more to the south. These are superpower, and they play the part in the in 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 Isaiah's prophecy, and the significance of them come in the, the the drift and flow of their political and also the 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 the, the a certain time Assyria is more is stronger, a certain time Babylon is stronger, and Egypt was 
sort of halfway there, halfway there. It has lost a lot of its, its, its glow, but still a superpower, still, still a super, superpower. Now, incidentally, if you read the book of Jonah, when Jonah prophesies, he actually prophesies to this one of the city of Assyria. And they're found in the annals. With all these things, you do have, other than the Bible's record of what's happening. You have the Sennacherib pre, uh, prism. I hope one of the preachers will actually bring it up. Sennacherib prism. We actually write down what's happening, but from their perspective, what happened is the data. But how they interpret of what's happening may be different. So you have actually cross-reference that the Bible is actually an authoritative and valid historical document. Document. Alright? Now, Jonah preached in Assyria and there was a period of what they call they repented, anyway, repented for one generation and they find that in the annals of Assyria, there was a period of peace. They didn't give the reason, but there was a period of non-war. Non-war. Just, just a trivia, alright? Okay, the superpower. This is a bigger map now. Uh, you have Assyria here, Aram here, you have Babylon here, and you have Egypt here. So these are the, the what do you call the superpower. This become an important area for people to travel from here to here to Europe. Because down here, you actually have mountainous area and desert. So it actually is not very easy to travel. So, and it's also a fertile area here. This is quite a fort- fertile area here. Therefore, there's also a reason why people are looking for this land. It's a very fertile land too. It's a very fertile land. So that was this. And, uh, okay, there, there's too many, too many facts. I will confuse it. I'm getting excited. All right. Okay, uh, let's go on. Okay. Now, we talk about the, the cultural, the political situation, but what is the spiritual situation? Spiritual situation is that during that time, there was a lot of the people of Israel, although they actually say they were worshipping Yahweh, but actually they were worshipping other gods. The God of the other nations around them. That was one of the big issues, which is brought out even more clearly by people like uh, Jeremiah and Ezekiel. And at times when the, the, it's ridiculous, when the elders of the people of Israel were worshipping in the dark room, they were worshipping other idols so that people do not know. The leaders of Israel were worshipping in the dark room, actually with their back, backside against God facing Jerusalem. That was their rebellion. You have to read the uh, book of Ezekiel for that. So they were actually in a faith value, Yahweh in my God, you know, this is our national God. But they actually are very unfaithful to the worship of Yahweh. So this is their spiritual stage. So there were also reform, especially in the southern kingdom of Judah, but it was always an incomplete reform. There were some good king, eight good king, 
but there's an incompleteness to that reform. So that was the period when you read Isaiah, you probably pick up that, that, that kind of thing. All right? So, and spiritually too, uh, while they were actually having a time of some prosperity, economically it was quite active. People are making money, but also a time where the poor are subjugated. People are taking advantage of those who are actually, uh, what do you call, marginalized. So you have that, that thing happen in, in, in the time of Isaiah. And Isaiah in his book speak against that. Speak against that. Even the law givers are making laws to subjugate. You see, woe are those lawgivers who make unjust law in the book of Isaiah. So Isaiah actually point out to this. One of the things which Isaiah, he is able to say this is because Isaiah is a royalty. He is the nephew of the king or something. He is part of the royalty. Therefore, he can, Isaiah can just walk into the palace or people can consult him and people at first dare not kill him. But later, Manasseh take him put him in the street trunk and saw him. That there's a tragedy. That's how Isaiah died. But Isaiah is a royalty, so he can again assess, assess to the, the throne to actually stay his peace. A lot of things he said is not popular. Not popular. Okay, so we have gone through the geography, which you will actually have to appreciate when you read the book Isaiah. You've gone through the 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 the, the, the the issue, the dynamic of the, 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 the political dynamic, what's happening with them, uh, and all that. So you bring it to your reading of Isaiah, and I hope you can actually uh, have a handle of it with this. The next problem or challenge which you have in Isaiah is Isaiah's prophecy. Prophecies, alright? That is something which actually uh, we need to have a bit of handle now, that is Isaiah's short-term prophecy. He prophesied, and within his lifetime, for example, that uh, the, the Sennacherib, the Assyrian, will come to attack. He told Hezekiah, don't worry, he will not come into Jerusalem. And indeed, it happened. 180,000 troops of Sennacherib was destroyed in one night. So he had a short-term Short-term prophecy, he prophesied to that, and it happened. So you read Isaiah, there's a short-term prophecy. There's also the mid-term prophecy. A mid-term prophecy, all in there. The mid-term prophecy is like the Assyrian and the Babylonian captivity, which happened later than his time time. And even the exile, Cyrus, King Cyrus was, was mentioned in Isaiah chapter 45 even, even before he was born. King Cyrus was mentioned in Isaiah 45 even before he was not born. And it was King Cyrus, God said, will actually help the people of exile coming back. The exile to come back to Jerusalem. So he has also a mid-term prophecy. Alright, the exile return, Babylonian captivity. Beyond his time, but is within the writing of Isaiah. 
And then he has a longer term, a longer term prophecy about the Messiah, the Messianic prophecy, the Messianic prophecy. So he had that too. He had that too. And I would say that Isaiah is the book, the only book in the Bible in the Old Testament which personalized God's solution to a man, the Messiah. That is how it is going to happen. That's how it's going to happen. How God is going to solve the problem of sin. But then, we have again, much longer prophecy in Isaiah about the end time. The end time. Now, it is about the final glory of, of, of God's new heaven and new earth. New heaven and new earth. But there's a problem there. Isaiah did not actually give this chart to people and say, this is my short term, this is my long term, this is my mid term, this is my whatever term, prophecy. The prophecy of the end time came in chapter 2, where the Messianic prophecy came in 53. It's not like some people say that uh, when the prophet look at the future, they see it like we drive through, they see hills, many hills, and then you see the hill all merged as one. You don't see the valley. So you don't know how far it's between hills. But it's more than that. The problem is these hills are not placed in, in a sequence of what we would like to. So you have all this problem when you actually read Isaiah. Now what is the reason? What is the re- why, why did Isaiah actually write in that way? This is what I thought. Isaiah is prophesying what is happening of God's rule to actually tell them in that situation God is in control and God will be the ultimate winner. So when the people are facing all this great kingdom, these wars and all that, Isaiah said, no. God's kingdom will finally come true. He did not want need to at least tell them A, B, C, D in that sequence. Because there's no need to tell them sequence. There is a lot of books now written about what will happen, you know, uh, today uh, uh, Christ will come, this will this, this, this and all that. I find that uh, that will actually give credibility to the person who can say, uh, this will happen first, second, third, fourth, fifth. It gives the credibility, the honor to the person who say, I'm a great prophet because I know the sequence. To Isaiah, the sequence is not important. God is important. When you have trouble, we have trouble. We want to tell you that, look here, God rules. God's final kingdom is coming. But on the other hand, when you're struggling with sin and all that, you say, look here, the Messiah, He comes for your sin. So, although this is not placed in a sequence because Isaiah did not need to actually elevate himself as a person who knows all. What God can do first, second, third, and fourth. But Isaiah is the prophet who elevates God and, and preach and admit the need of the people. So, be prepared to see this 
this sequence emerge out and sometimes be confused. But just know one thing. God rules. God rules. Okay? God rules. So I find that quite relevant to actually see uh, the prophecy of Isaiah. And uh, I put it in a very simple way, this part here, like Christ is going to come, but even in Isaiah, the activity here could be a few things happening there. Uh, a few things happening there. And I hope that David Wilson will, he may or he may not, uh, I have a short, but there's things happening there which you could not actually put a hand on what's going to happen next in counting. But remember God's rule. God rules. God rules. All right? Okay, we are coming. All right. Uh, just give me just a, a bit here. The mission that will fail. When Isaiah was commissioned in chapter 6, he saw a great vision. Now, I'm not going to steal much from Josh's sermon. He's going to speak Isaiah chapter 6, but just a brief thing, all right? When Isaiah see the big vision and he feel God's calling to actually answer the call, he said, here, man, send me, send me. But God called him to a mission which is going to fail. God said, you're going to tell these people, but they won't listen to you. How would you like to have that count? You know? You're going to lose anyway. You're going to tell them this is going to happen and all that, and if you obey me, this won't happen. But let me tell you, that won't happen. They will disobey me. Why? Why did God send Isaiah to a mission that will fail? I think it lies in the name he gave to his two sons. God said, you're going to have son, call him Shia Jahub. If I pronounce it correctly, of course. And which means a remnant will return. And he said, you're going to have second son. He called his name Mehel Shalal Shasput to that extent which is about strife, is about problem. When Isaiah, I believe this is what happened, when Isaiah preached all this sermon to the nation, to the king, and said, you know, the national, you have to repent and all that. And although the whole nation do not turn, but there will be people who listen to Isaiah's Prophecy. Listen to Isaiah's preaching. It's the individual, the remnant, the, 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 the group who actually turn their heart to the Lord. The message is for people who want to turn, even when they have a time where the whole nation as though go against God. There will be people, a remnant always there. Although they go through the same problem, of Assyrian captivity, maybe being killed or suffer in all that kind of thing. But they have a will which a transcendent God. They go through the suffering, 
but they are not affected because they understand that God is in control. It's the same now. The kingdom of God is not bought in a group package. It's not a group package. It's not a family package even. It's an individual package. Unless we take the word of God into our heart and apply it to us individually and read the word of God and apply it to us individually, it has no meaning. It has no meaning. I'd like to see all of you enjoying the kingdom of God with me together and we'll have great fun. Great time celebrating the kingdom of God. And I believe, looking around, I believe you'll be there. But there's no guarantee. Don't take my word for it, please. But there's no group package fare. No group package ticket for the whole church, for your family, for the husband and wife. Each of us has to take that journey. That journey. So I believe it's not against God's economy. When Isaiah preached, when Isaiah preached to the whole nation, and even the whole nation go against God, and then they end up in captivity and go through, you have the light out of that. Meshach, Shidrach, and Abednego. You know who Meshach, Shidrach, and Abednego? The people who went through all this trouble, Daniel, came out. They dared to face the, uh, the, the Babylonian court and say, no, we believe, we in our heart, know that although our nation is turned to rubbish, but God's glory and God's kingdom is always there. So I pray that when you read the book of Isaiah, there are difficulties, of course. There are difficulties. You know, uh, don't be too put up a frustration on trying to solve every part of Isaiah. Isaiah, but handle difficulty knowing that God is transcendent. God is transcendent. So I believe I have really the, the privilege to actually read the book Isaiah, trying to make sense of it and, and enjoy the book. Enjoy the book. Let's pray. My Father God, I thank you, dear Lord God, for the book of Isaiah. For it has much encouragement to us, even and especially at this time, we see things going astray. But we know that your church, your people, dear Lord God, called by you a remnant, a remnant which actually represents your kingdom here with a purpose. But more than that, dear Lord God, we have assured hope that we, your people, although we may be affected now on earth, our spiritual journey is actually covered by you. We are guaranteed by you that, dear Lord God, things, when your kingdom come, things, dear Lord God, will be wonderful, glorious to our welfare because we are your children. I thank you for that. I thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.